welcome to the Reading for Success podcast brought to you by the Success League. This podcast focuses on books, articles, and other resources for customer success, provides an overview of each, and gives you an honest assessment of whether or not it's worth your time. Hi, my name is Kristen Heyer, and I'm the host of Reading for Success. I'm also the CEO of the Success League, a boutique customer success training and consulting firm based in San Francisco. This week, I'm reviewing a new article, and we're continuing the review of our current book, HBR's 10 Must Reads on Change Management. We're going to cover chapters three through five of the book on this episode. Today's article is called What's Your Negotiation Strategy by Jonathan Hughes and Danny Ertel. This article can be found in the July and August 2020 issue of Harvard Business Review and on the hbr.org website. So what's this one about? On simple deals and in easy situations, you can get away with reactive negotiation tactics and still find a deal that works for your organization. However, in larger, more complex deals, adopting a proactive approach to negotiation produces significantly better results for both parties and results in fewer failures. The authors argue that by rethinking the parties who are involved in the negotiation, and approaching scope, timing, and leverage creatively, negotiators are more likely to maximize deal value. They provide examples of the approaches they cover in the article, as well as some specific advice. So, how is this related to customer success? CS practitioners are always negotiating something. Even if you don't have to close a deal, you still need to persuade and negotiate. You might need to negotiate for more time, for dedicated resources on the customer's team, or for access to an executive. I think that any negotiation tactics should always be welcome in a CS professional's arsenal. The negotiation that CS leaders do, on the other hand, is often internal. You might have to negotiate with another team for prioritization of your project, or with your finance team for more budget, or with your sales team to get their team better trained on your offering. Again, never turn down ideas on negotiation. So what were my key takeaways? There were a few sections that really stood out to me in this article. One is called rethinking counterparts. And the idea behind this section is that we often get stuck on the idea that we're negotiating with just one other party, and we kind of forget the surrounding ecosystem that we're operating in. By considering other potential stakeholders like competitors or suppliers, we get a broader picture of the environment we're negotiating inside, and we can come up with more creative and proactive approaches. This section also includes a list of questions to ask yourself to help understand who else might have an interest in the negotiation. Another section I liked is closely related, and it's called Analyze Counterparts Constituencies. That's kind of a tongue twister. Uh, Basically, this section talks about the fact that we often consider the company or the team we're negotiating with as one single entity, when often there are multiple constituencies or individuals involved with different interests and drivers. I really like this section because whether we're talking about negotiation or customer success in general, this is a really important idea. It is easy to forget that your customer isn't a company, it's a set of people inside a company who all care about different things and expect you to produce different results. This is a great reminder for both negotiations and for customer success. The last part that really stood out to me 
is a small call out in the article on page 83 of the magazine. It's probably page eight or nine if you're checking out the article online. And it's called How to Pressure Test Your Strategy. The authors get to the idea of red teams. Red teams were used during the Cold War and they played the role of the Soviet Union during war game simulations conducted by the United States. Assigning a small part of your negotiating team, or if it's a small negotiation, maybe another member of your team, to the role of the other party allows you to simulate what may happen if you take different approaches during the negotiation. This devil's advocate role can help you think more creatively about ways to drive the deal to a mutually beneficial solution. So is this article worth your time? I'm sure you already know my opinion on this, but yes, this article is worth your time if you're a CSM or a CS leader. If you've already had some training on negotiation, some of this will be review for you, but you'll pick up some interesting approaches as well. If you're new to negotiation, some of these tactics may seem a little advanced to you, but keep them in your back pocket. As you learn more about negotiating, you'll pull them back out later. So on to our book. This week, I'm covering chapters three through five of HBR's 10 Must Reads on Change Management. This book is actually a collection of articles and features different authors' takes on this important topic. And today's chapters are Leading Change When Business is Good by Paul Hemp and Thomas Stewart, Radical Change the Quiet Way by Deborah Meyerson, and Tipping Point Leadership by Chan Kim and Renee Mabord. So what is this section about? Leading Change When Business is Good is a case study on the change that IBM made to its stated company values in 2003 and on how creating a values-based management system has helped IBM to overcome some of the challenges that came along with running such a large and diverse organization. Radical Change the Quiet Way looks at ways that people the author calls tempered radicals successfully drive change through self-expression, influence, emotional intelligence, and alliances. And finally, Tipping Point Leadership is both a case study on William Bratton and the work he did for the NYPD. Um, he quickly and substantially reduced crime as the New York City Police Commissioner, but it also provides a framework for driving substantial change with a limited timeline and budget. So three articles this week that are a part of this book. What do I agree with? There wasn't really much in the first article that resonated with me, um, but I did appreciate one of the quotes from the article, and this is it, quote, an organic system, which is what a company is, needs to adapt. And we think values, and that's what we call them today at IBM, are what enable you to do that. They let you change everything from your products to your strategies to your business model, but remain true to your essence, your mission, and identity. Unquote. I think that's a great quote, and I agree with this in theory, but I haven't seen it work well in practice. More about that in a minute. I do think you'll like many of the stories of IBM that are included in this article if you're a tech geek and enjoy reading the history of technology companies. This week's second article was much more interesting to me. I really like that the author emphasizes the ways that individuals, leaders or not, can drive change in quieter ways and still produce meaningful results. One story that I especially appreciated is the story of a black senior executive who held a series of positions as he moved up the ladder in a large bank. When he joined the company, he was one of the few minorities serving in a management role, and he quietly committed to bringing on more women and minorities into the organization. 
Whenever he had a position to fill, he attempted to hire a highly qualified member of a minority. I'll let you read the details of the story yourself, but by the time he retired, more than 3,500 female and minority employees had joined the organization thanks to his hiring and mentoring efforts. Right now, many companies in tech are looking for ways to diversify their teams. I think this story is a fantastic example of how substantial change can come from a committed individual and doesn't have to come from a corporate initiative or change effort. I think the trick is finding tempered radicals and leveraging their strengths, and the author talks about what to look for. The third article this week was my favorite, mostly because I felt it was the most practical for growth stage organizations. All of the articles in the book so far really focus on long-term change and the significant amount of time it takes to drive culture change. And if you listened to the episode last week, you know I was frustrated by that in the first two articles of the book. What are companies supposed to do when they don't have five to 10 years to drive change or when they have 18 months of runway and that's it? I think the article on tipping point leadership finally addresses this issue and talks about how to make change happen on a short timeline and small budget. This last article also provides a very simple framework for how to think about driving change rapidly toward a tipping point. The authors talk about breaking through the cognitive hurdle or how to make a strong case for change by getting your team to experience challenges firsthand. Then they get into how to overcome the resources hurdle uh, by directing your budget toward the things that need the biggest change, as well as the motivational hurdle, leveraging key influencers on your team. And then finally, they talk about the political hurdle and how to identify and deal with potential blockers to change. Each of these steps is accompanied by a story or two about the NYPD and the changes they made in the early 2000s. So what do I disagree with this week? I was frustrated with the article on leading change when business is good, mainly because the example is IBM, which is far outside of the scope of most technology companies. Their organization is aspirational in some ways, but also not the structure that will work in smaller, more nimble technology organizations. And while I like the idea of values-based management and see how it would provide a guiding light for a really diverse and dispersed company like IBM, I haven't seen a corporate set of values provide much value for most organizations. Usually they're concocted by a small set of executives and communicated to the rest of the organization with a lot of hoopla, and then they end up shelved, never to be heard of again. The focus of this article was mainly on creating a set of values, and I don't think spent enough time on how to roll them out in a way that is sticky. I guess maybe I'm one of the skeptical people the article talks about. Um, the other potential negative I want to call out this week kind of depends on your view of police and policing. I realize there are a lot of strong opinions out there right now about police, and the article Tipping Point Leadership uses the example of the NYPD in the early 2000s to make points about ways to roll out change quickly. While the leadership approach demonstrated in the article was very successful in reducing crime, some readers may not appreciate some of the tactics. If you're someone who's bothered by the example, try to set aside the policing specifics and focus on the change management approach, which really is solid. So is this worth reading? I think unless you're actively working on a value statement for your team, or are involved in a company level effort to build a values-based management approach, or if you just love learning about 
the history of tech companies like IBM, I would skim or skip the leading change when business is good article. I don't think it provides enough practical value outside of these very specific cases. I think everyone should read Radical Change the Quiet Way. If you're a CSM, you can use these techniques to drive change on your team or inside your organization without being in a leadership role. And if you're a leader, especially one who faces politics in your organization, this will provide you with some ideas on how to drive change outside of the official channels. If you're a leader who wants to drive grassroots change efforts, this article will help you look for and identify the tempered radicals on your team. Tipping Point Leadership provides a great framework for leaders who need to make change happen quickly and on a tight budget. And that's most of us, so leaders make this article a priority. I think CSMs can skip this one unless they're really excited about the NYPD example. If you're reading along with me, next episode I'll be covering chapters 6 through 8 of Harvard Business Review's 10 Must Reads on Change Management. You can purchase this book on either Amazon or the hbr.org website. Since this is a brand new podcast, if you like it, please take a couple of minutes to rate it and subscribe. You can also email feedback and ideas to me at kristen at thesuccessleague.io. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join Reading for Success next time.